How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to a uh, special late-night edition of X-Lapse. This is episode 118, and uh, I'm just going to say it, I'm very, very tired. It's been a very, very long week. But uh, you know what they say, neither uh, rain nor sleet nor uh, lack of sleep will stop us from you know, doing the thing, doing the thing that we do here. So let's do it. We're still in Exitens, and we are talking about Cable. Volume 4, number 5, which had a December 2020 cover date. The story is called X of Swords, Chapter 8. Written by Jerry Duggan with art by Phil Noto. Letters, VCs Joe Sabino. Designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits Bisa white Sabolsky. Cover price, $3.99. Went on sale October 14th of 2020. Now we open with Cable and his folks arriving at the peak that's the S.W.O.R.D. S-W-O-R-D satellite we're going to have to pretend to give half a damn about during this story, and probably for many stories to follow. Now, as we saw in Exosword's creation, Cable used the light of Galador as a pointy set of jumper cables to bring the place back online. Upon arrival, they were sure there'd be some form of humanity here, but, uh, at least to this point, ain't no such thing. Go to a double-page spread of creds followed by our roll call. We're going to be focusing on Cable, Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Magic. Back to comics. Cable and company are walking down a corridor, and Jean is able to pick up some faint vibes and decides that maybe it's best for them to split up and, you know, divide and conquer, try to find out any, if they can find any survivors or, or whatever, right? Now, this orb that they're on, being a perfect sphere, makes it so they can go opposite ways and rejoin at the other end. It's a ring deck, right? So, Gene heads one way, Cable and Scott the other. Next up, info page about Blightspoke, another kingdom of Otherworld, and, uh, quote, this place is poison. Okay, then. Back to comics. We, uh, we follow Cable and Cyclops first here. Now, during their trek, Magic calls in again to remind them that, uh, hey, guys, you know, the clock is ticking here. We got this thing we got to do pretty soon, so get back as quick as you can. And Scott assures her that they will. They'll be back just as soon as mutantly possible. That's worth noting, there are some humanoid-shaped burns in the wall, which makes Scott suggest that sword went down fighting. And too bad they're not going to stay down. Uh, now, the fellas then happen across a door that was very crudely welded shut. Cyclops goes ahead and blasts their way in, and they find themselves stood before... Uh, something... Don't worry, we'll find out what it is uh, a little bit later on. First, let's hop over to Jean. She enters a dwelling where that vibe was coming from. Now there, she finds the lone survivor of the, of the sword satellite. He sort of kind of tells her about everything that went down here, um, 
and how it was a mistake for them to repower the satellite in the first place. Yeah, I'm telling you, I mean, now we're stuck with a sword series. Now, his tale of woe goes about as you might expect. You know, uh, there were a lot of people who died, and the ones who did die were the lucky ones. You know, stuff like that. He then turns around to let Jean re- into his mind so she can get, you know, the bigger picture. We don't actually see what it was that he experienced or what he saw, but Gene uh, is deeply affected. It's worth noting that this, eye, this fellow's eyes are, like, all messed up. Really, really gross-looking stuff here. Um, pretty wild. Uh, this survivor then engages the airlock and is sucked out into the vacuum of space. So, uh, I guess since he'd unburdened himself of the experience, there was uh, just nothing left for him. Gene rushes to be with Scott and Cable, telling them not to open any doors. We, get to then, we then get to see what the Summers men are looking at, and it's a uh, great big glowing box? Or a glowing set of ethereal doors? Whatever the hell it is, it's glowing. Okay, now from this glowing mass emerge the Vescora aliens. Um, a sentient virus. So, uh, yay, more generic Hickman aliens. Uh, we, we definitely needed that in Cable's book. Now our heroes destroy them, but it was only the first wave. These things just keep coming and coming and coming. Gene tells Nate to noink his sword out of the core, because they got to cut power to the satellite. And, uh, well, that's exactly what he does. He takes a little while to do it, but it's what he does. Next up, an info page detailing the Peak's black box recordings, which, you know, detail the Viscora incursion. We jump back to Krakoa, and uh, Cable takes his place on the X of Swords action figure display playset. So uh, we're halfway there. We got five of our sword warriors here. Next up, an info page about the Light of Galador, which is Cable's sword. And if you've been reading Cable, you already know all this. We wrap up the issue with Cyclops and Magic having a clandestine psychic chat. Now it would seem as though Scott might have an ace up his sleeve as it pertains to this contest of champions. Well, at least he might think... He has an ace up his sleeve. Uh, from what I'm getting here, it feels like he uh, he wants to find a way to uh, maybe cheat and uh, somehow have all of the X-Men involved in this skirmish. I guess we'll see if that goes anywhere. It is worth noting that's, that, that Scott is especially proud of this idea, which, hey, I mean, it's as good as any, right? That's where we leave it. Next up, we're looking at Excalibur number 13, but... How about we talk about, uh, how about we talk about this issue? Well, um, not a whole lot to say about this issue. Uh, there are times when a crossover helps to bolster a series. You know, we saw that in X-Factor. I think that, uh, being part of the X of Swords event helped X-Factor quite a bit. Then there are times where, uh, being part of a crossover hampers an ongoing series, and, uh, I think that's kind of the case here, uh, because this was the weakest issue of Cable yet. Really, I mean, it's just a filler chapter of X of Swords, right? Um, Cable already had his sword, and we watched him procure it over the last several issues of this volume. This was basically planting some seeds for that upcoming sword series, which... I couldn't care less about. Um, I didn't care about the first series of S.H.I.E.L.D., and I, I didn't care when the vaunted Joss Whedon introduced the concept. It's I don't care about any of the acronym uh, organizations in Marvel. I don't care about Hammer, don't care about S.H.I.E.L.D., really don't care about S.W.O.R.D. either. But 
we have a line of books we gotta bloat, so here we are. We gotta we gotta crank as many of these damn things out as we humanly can. And hey, you know, I'm totally open to the possibility that I am completely wrong, and I will absolutely fall in love with the sword concept after reading uh, Al Ewing's take on it. Um, so let's see. Why in story context are we even here on board the satellite? I mean, we know that we have a series we need to bloat the line with. But in the story, why are they here? Why are why are the summer zizzes here? Why did Saturnine place this image into Rachel and Nathan's heads during creation to begin with? I mean, Cable even asked that question during this issue. I'm assuming there's going to be an explanation... But I tell you, if it has to do with yet another generic alien invasion, I'd just as soon hope we don't get an explanation. You know, just let it drop. Let it drop. Make it be like, oh, we took that wrong left turn at Albuquerque and we wound up on the shield satellite, or sword satellite, bada bing, bada boom. One thing, my main takeaway, really my only takeaway from this issue, which, I mean, I hate saying this about an issue of Cable since I've been such a strong supporter of this title to this point. I mean, I don't blame the creative team for this. It's a beautiful issue. Phil Noto, you know, is Phil Noto. And uh, Jerry Duggan made the best out of uh, what, you know, the, the, the paces he had to be put through in order to get this story where it needed to go. I mean, we've been reading about people getting swords, right? That's been the story for every issue so far. Um, it's people familiarizing themselves with their swords or, or finding their swords. And here, I mean, Cable already had his sword, so we need to just send him away to make him come back so he can stand on the play set. One thing I appreciated here, and it might be a case of me thinking too hard. That's always a possibility. I really liked Scott having a plan at the end here. You know, um, Scott's plan, if what I'm reading is exact, is actually what I'm reading, he wants to be in communication with magic so he can know what's happening in this, in this skirmish, in this fight, hoping that the connectivity will somehow allow the other X-Men to engage in this battle, to help out. That's what I'm, that, that was my takeaway. I could be wrong. If that is the case... I'm really enjoying that we're seeing our heroes try to figure out ways around actually having to engage in a fair fight. Because to me, it speaks to a few different things here. First, it reminds us that the stakes here are indeed high, right? We know that Otherworld Resurrection glitch is in in place. We know that if they die in Otherworld, they're not coming back the same way that they left. So that does really reinforce the fact that we finally have some stakes here. The fact that the X-Men are trying to go around doing this fairly. Cyclops trying to get other people involved. The Hellions trying to steal the swords. I like that. I like that a lot. Second, it might speak to the mutants' place in the world right now, or at least how they view themselves in the world right now. I mean, Wolverine has said it many, many times. The Krakoans have gotten comfortable and soft, right? They've let their guards down. Maybe... They don't think they can win a fair fight. Maybe they've gotten too comfortable, too relaxed, too lax in their training here. They don't have stakes. Now when they're finally faced with stakes after having some time where they were just like, oh yeah, we got to throw another Quentin Quire on the fire, do it. You know, it didn't matter. Now we actually have stakes here and maybe, maybe they're second guessing themselves. I like that. Another thing, 
the mutants sort of kind of feel like they're above the law, right? Remember, they no longer answer to or abide by man's law, right? They're above the rules. So why would Saturnine's rules be any different to them, right? I like this. I like this. Unless, again, I'm reading way too much into this. It makes me feel like we're setting our heroes up for a pretty heavy reality check. Where they're going to find out that there's always, there's always going to be something superior out there. There's always going to be something that puts you in check. I really, really like that because we are seeing a whole different side of the X-Men here. And uh, it might not paint them in the best light or shine the best light on them, but uh, we do have patterns of behavior now in this new Dawn of X world where, yeah, they're, they're going to go outside the rules and they're going to make their own rules because they don't abide by anyone else's rules. I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that. But uh, overall, as much as it pains me to say it, um, this was... Yeah, like I said, the, probably the weakest issue of Cable yet. And that's only because it was kind of hornswoggled into doing what it had to do in order to put this, keep this story going the direction it needs to go instead of letting Cable do what Cable does. And uh, what he's done over the past four issues before this was uh, have really fun adventures. And uh, this was uh, a little bit less so. But that's all I got to say about this one. Like I said, there's not a whole lot to say. It was a pretty much a, a blink-and-you'll-miss-it sort of issue here. So uh, let's hop into the mailbag before we get out of here. We got a double dose of Damien and a little bit of Evan to cover today. We're going to start with Damien talking about X-Men number 12. Now he says, I was a little disappointed with this issue of X-Men. I think the real problem is that the story gives me no reason to care about the summoner or his story. This material would have worked better peppered through various issues over the last few months, but it all just appears now. I can understand why people were nervous about X of Tens when this was the lead-in. It works much better if you just start with X of Tens creation like I did. And yeah, the uh, that, was, that was a very difficult story. Uh, this one, for folks who, who may just be joining us now... X-Men Volume 5, Number 12, was the expositional dump. It was uh, the creepy summoner basically giving Apocalypse the rundown on Amanthe or Aranthe and uh, Araco or Rocky, whatever the hell these islands are. Basically just giving him the history of everything that happened after the islands were cleaved, right? We found out about Apocalypse's wife, Genesis. We found out about the crucifixions. We found out about... uh, that one mutant who has the power never to lose, who turned on them. It was a huge info dump. And it felt very, very sloppy, very, very haphazard, very, very crammed, very last minute. Because it was last minute. This was the, you know, Exosword's prelude issue. It felt very, very like, oops, we forgot to make you care about this stuff, so here's a bunch of stuff. And uh, Damien says exactly what I was saying during that episode. Had we not wasted, you know, near a half dozen issues of that volume of X-Men with the funny ha-ha with Brew eating an egg and uh, and dealing with the Empire cash-ins, maybe you pepper this throughout. Maybe it makes a little bit more sense. Maybe you give it a little bit of room to breathe. And uh, maybe it'll have the impact that you ex- that you would want for it to have because... No, this did not have the impact that I think anybody wanted it to have here, the creators included. I think they were probably just making the best of a, of a rough situation. Now, Damien also wrote in to talk about Juggernaut number one. 
Now he says, I was listening to this episode while my husband was out picking up our veg, and he came in during the feedback. He heard you say that you'd never seen Bill and Ted and was shocked and disgusted. This meant I also had to admit that I'd never seen any of the Bill and Ted films. My husband is now shocked and disgusted with me, too. So thanks for that, Chris. I tell you, at least I'm in good company and not having seen that. (laughs) Damien continues. As for Juggernaut number one, I was pleasantly surprised by how good it was. Your anecdote about Fabian Nicieza was amusing. I have an amazing ability to accidentally insult comics professionals, so I was glad to hear that I'm not alone. I would definitely be up for a continuation of this series after X of Tens. And yeah, we will be picking up with Juggernaut again after uh, the, the crossover is done with. I've been picking up the remaining five issues. Uh, I picked up two and three, so I think we, we're halfway there. So we'll, I don't know if six is out yet, but uh, by the time we're done with X of Tens, I'm assuming it will be, so... We'll get it in there, and uh, I don't know if we'll do them all in one big lump, or if we'll just, you know, maybe, you know, go every other day, or one a week, or who knows. But we will get to it, because I was uh, I was very pleased with it as well. It didn't, it, what did, how did I put it? Uh, it wasn't trying to be anything it wasn't. It was just a good story. And uh, that's kind of what we get from uh, Fabian not so nice <laughs> Damien continues. Good luck with your move. I can't believe you're going to keep releasing episodes. I only do one podcast a month, and I've fallen well behind just because my sinuses are playing up. You really are inspirational. Well, thank you. Thank you. And the move has been going... Oh, boy. Nobody would believe me if I told you how this move is going, because it is going... Picture, like, the worst-case scenario and uh, double it, (laughs) because this has been... Unending. Um, we've been in transition for about a month now. Uh, I, I mean, we're in a decent position where we don't have to be out of anywhere. But uh, I tell you, I can't wait to just have one house uh, where we're, I can just put my head on one pillow and sleep. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully sleep again sometime soon. Uh, Damien wraps up with, Anyway, until Juggernaut turns the Gemma Sidorak into a nice pair of earrings, make mine ex-lapsed. Well, we don't know what happened to the Gemma Sidorak, so you never know what it might wind up being. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on those two. One complex issue and one pretty straightforward issue. So thank you so, so much. Next up, Evan, talking about X-Force number 13. He says, I finished X-Force number 13, which I almost keep calling Wolverine number 6. This definitely didn't need to be a two-parter. To me, it didn't need to be a one-parter. I would have preferred a single page where Wolverine ran into his future opponent in the checkout line of Muramasa's Sword Emporium over two issues in hell. Your skin's adamantium? How the hell's that possible? I don't know, maybe ask Cyber. <laughs> and are Wolverine and Magic just going to stand there till everyone else shows up? I hope stuff is happening simultaneously. Maybe Krakoa can manifest a latrine nearby. Looking forward to your assessment of the issue, I kind of miss the vampires. Yeah, you ain't kidding, huh? Now, what Evan is talking about there is the two-parter from, uh, what was it, X of Swords Parts 3 and 4, which uh, had Wolverine go to hell to get the Muramasa, and then we found out there were two Muramasas, and then his his weirdo, charming weirdo opponent comes, and he gets one of the Muramasas, and, uh, oh boy, it was uh, uh, the Ben Percy corner of the X of Swords run has been was a uh, was a pretty sizable speed bump. 
everything was going pretty good, and then it's just like, dunk, we stop. Wolverine has to go to hell and spend way too many pages there. And uh, yeah, I think I would have been right there with you. Just go to the Sword Emporium and uh, and bump into his guy, and oh, we're buying the same sword. Hey, maybe I'll see you somewhere down the line. And uh, then we enter the second half of this uh, event miniseries, and or this event crossover, and there they are. It's like, hey, I recognize you. Oh yeah, I saw you online at the sword shop. I think that would have been just fine, just fine. But uh, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts here, and I'm so happy that you're catching up with. Uh, the current storyline here. I know I had quite the head start on you when you uh, when you started this, so it's really really cool that you're right there with us in the X of Tens and the throes of X of Tens here. So thank you so so much for uh, for keeping up with the uh, program. But that's gonna do it for the mailbag today. If anybody out there would like to be a part of the mailbag, please feel free to reach out. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics or shoot me an email at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com and xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can chat with us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. And you can listen to a whole bunch of noise at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Well, my friends, that'll do it. And uh, hopefully I can get a little bit of sleep between now and the next time I talk to you, which will be, as always, really, really soon. But uh, first, I'd like to thank you all so, so much for sharing your time with me today. And uh, again, till next time, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh